Hello and welcome to Cloud Automation Weekly. My name is Thorsten Höger and I'm here to talk about automating your AWS cloud infrastructure. Today I'm joined by Alan Helton to talk about step functions. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey Thorsten, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. For folks that are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a bit about who you are and what you do? For sure. So I'm an AWS serverless hero and an ecosystem engineer at Momento. So what I spend my time doing uh, during the day is bringing serverless enablement to as many people as possible, talking about serverless services in general, talking about uh, Momento, which is a serverless caching service, and just trying to make things relatable and tangible and provide reference architectures to people. What I do at night, or rather in the morning, is all the AWS serverless hero stuff that I like to do. I run a website called Ready, Set, Cloud, where I have blogs, a podcast, newsletter, everything centered around serverless. Uh, so uh, do a lot of content creation on the side. Yeah, sounds perfect. And I'll definitely link to all these things in the description of this episode. Yeah, and one part of this uh, content creation I came across is a blog post you wrote about yeah, cross-posting blog posts using step functions. And I was like, yeah, step functions is cool. We need to talk about this. So maybe short introduction, what was the reason? And what, what did you do and why did you do it? <laughs> so Sure. Okay, so in early 2023, I had this idea that I want to make my life easier. So I've been writing, uh, blogging for a little over four years. And every single time I publish an article, which is every week, I would spend at least an hour, usually close to two hours, updating the content and cross-posting it on uh, Dev and Medium and Hashnode. And I'll try to update links inside uh, of the content to point canonically to uh, the correct location. So all the Medium links would point to my other Medium articles and all the Hashnode would go to Hashnode, so on and so forth. And that was a lot of, a lot of effort every week for something that felt like it could be automated and I decided to do something about it. So I built a, a an entire mechanism that does that all for me, which which has been great because it does it in about half a second, saves me hours of time every week, and it has removed a whole lot of errors for my process. Uh, so it's been uh, very much a worthwhile investment. So to talk about it uh, in a little bit of detail, it is a step function, uh, a step function workflow that takes the content that I write on my blog. Uh, the blog is built on Hugo, which is a static site generator that converts markdown files into HTML. And uh, what it does is it takes those markdown files and it runs it through a series of Lambda functions to kind of orchestrate the, this big thing. So it runs it through Lambda to uh, identify uh, cross-reference or backlinks to my own content and replace them with the appropriate versions. Like I kind of said earlier, the medium links, uh, the medium version of my blog will only point to my medium articles. The ones on my website only point to my website just to provide kind of a nicer, streamlined experience for readers. Don't want them jumping around too much. And then it goes and it calls some APIs uh, to integrate with all these services. So it transforms it into three different formats, updating based on the type of markdown that Medium, Hashnode, and Dev accept. Then it uses their API 
to push the content over there to the publications that are right for like better programming on medium, right? For the AWS heroes organization inside of dev and then my own publication on hash node. Go ahead. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So yeah, you talked about a step function. So most step functions you can find online are more like, yeah, call this, wait for 10 seconds, call something else. Looking at your blog post, your step function does a little bit more than that. <laughs> so uh, maybe yeah, just yeah, give us some information about is everything in a Lambda function just wrapping the Lambda function or I can see you're using real um, SDK calls. So, so let, let's discuss a bit about what step functions can do and how you're using it. Sure. So I make it no secret that step functions is my favorite AWS service. I just love the idea of orchestrating a bunch of tasks and I love the way that the team has made it so you can see which steps were executed, what the how the data is transformed from state to state all the way through. And so what I try to do with every project, you know, I'm not just solving problems just to solve problems. I'm solving problems to try to test out functionality and un- deepen my understanding of the different AWS services. So when I built this cross-posting automation, I made sure to kind of stretch step functions as much as I could. So it has a lot of uh, direct AWS SDK integrations. Uh, it calls Lambda functions. It goes and does parallel branches. It does maps. Uh, it does a whole lot of stuff to to kind of stretch it so I personally can learn. So the very first thing that it does is it does some checks for item potency. Now, the last thing I want is to publish my content more than once. I don't want to have two or three or four uh, versions of the same article out there on any of these websites because of a failure and a retry. So I built in some item potency measures that uh, uses a hash of the git commit that I committed my markdown file and the markdown file name to act as an item potency key. And so I save that into Dynamo and I use a direct SDK integration to save this item potency key and a status of basically the job, the workflow status to see, is it currently running? Did it fail? Did it succeed? And based on those, the step function execution will divert the logic. So if if a uh, retry comes in and there is a step function execution that is actively going, the execution just aborts. It says, hey, somebody else is trying to process this content. I don't want to do that. So that uses the direct SDK integration with DynamoDB to load the item potency key out, uh, check the status, and you know branch logic conditionally. Uh, it does call Lambda functions because there's some business logic in there that I can't replicate directly with intrinsic functions, like pretty much the entire transform of the content. It's parsing Markdown, it's parsing HTML, and it's generating content. Uh, so I can't do that natively with intrinsic functions. Uh, you know, the intrinsic functions are, for those of you that don't know, they are built in uh, almost logical operators inside of the Amazon States language, that ASL, that does some things. Like you can do uh, addition with math. You can uh, go through arrays, try to find specific values. You can create unique identifiers. You can do a whole bunch of different things, but they aren't really logic-based. So whenever you have something that's a little bit more evolved, like logic, you have to put that into a Lambda function. So I had to do that with this, this automation. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fine. Um, and, and I think Lambda functions are great to do com- more complicated things, but it's cool that you can do some parts of the 
that you yeah some things that you need to do all the time like retries or error handling or as you said this idempotency stuff that you can extract this from your lambda functions and let step functions do these parts and then your lambda functions can focus on the real in this case business logic and not infrastructure logic Absolutely. And one of the things that I really like about step functions is that they help promote modularity in your code, especially when you're talking about developing with serverless technologies. You want your Lambda functions, for example, to be uh, tight and focused and really just do one thing. You're not really it's considered an anti-pattern to do what people call, uh, you know, uh, Lambda lits, where it runs an entire API out of a single Lambda function. You want them to just be focused on one discrete piece of logic. And what I like about step functions is that they promote that. You can have a uh, Lambda function in there that does just one discrete small piece of business logic. And step functions can handle errors for you. Let's say that Lambda function throws an exception. The step function workflow can catch that and then kick off a series of compensating actions. Uh, meaning, let's say that that Lambda function that failed was step three out of five on a transform. Maybe it added something, it converted A to B, and then it failed on uh, step three. So what a step function workflow can do is it can catch an error on step three and say, okay, we failed, this is unrecoverable. So I'm actually gonna go and kick off these other Lambda functions that basically undo what I already did up to this point in the process. So I can say undo step two and then keep going, undo step one, uh, which is super nice because that means that you're isolating your logic, you're isolating your error handling, and you have a really easy way to navigate from a, a visual point of view because you have this whole entire map and graphic and step functions that shows you, uh, you know, what happened and what will happen with different conditional branches. Yeah, or what I really love about error handling is like, oh, it's not unrecoverable, but let's try again in five minutes. So I don't want to pay for these five minutes. So I can wait in step functions instead of let the Lambda sit there for five minutes and do nothing. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. You can do you can do that and you know, kind of along the, the same vein, you can wait for a task token. So you can kick off a completely asynchronous job and say, wait until somebody resumes this execution with uh, with this token. And that, of course, only applies to standard workflows, not express. Express functions are or express workflows are build and behave. Uh, similar to the Lambda functions where they're built on memory size and time used uh, compared to standard workflows, which are built pretty much completely on number of state transitions. Yeah, but I, I really love th that waiting part. So I think w whenever somebody needs the, the final argument for step functions, it's, it's waiting for stuff because waiting is always expensive if you do it in compute. And for step functions, just waiting doesn't cost you anything. Well, okay, one state transition, but that's okay. <laughs> but it's sure. not like, oh yeah, you have to wait here for a day or after 14 days, do something or close something out after a, a, one month of not using it or something. It's perfect that you can do this in step one. Or as you said, asynchronous using task tokens. I um, had one uh, recording with um, Philip uh, Purek uh, from Buttonize and he's talking about um, integrating now humans back into step function so that could all interesting 
Yeah, that's that's cool. And one of the things that I haven't done in my blog cross-posting uh, workflow that could easily be added is uh, more or less staggering uh, promotions for the content. Uh, so right now, when I publish a blog post, it goes and immediately publishes it to these other uh, other blog sites. But one of the things that you could do with the power of step functions is wait. You could generate a random amount of time. You could say wait anywhere from one to five days. And somewhere along the way, go ahead and publish the content to Medium and then do it again. And in three more days, publish it to dev just to make sure that your content is continuing to get in front of people over time versus kind of an all in in one shot. And since Step Functions integrates with Lambda, you can create a Lambda function that hits an API to also automatically publish something on Twitter or LinkedIn that does uh, promotions for your content as they get cross-posted. Yeah, or even later. So you could do, yeah, post your things and then for the next three weeks, every three days, post a reminder on social media, something like that, or or ask an API what the ideal time is for a publication, then use this in, in a wait state for, yeah, let's publish on Mondays at nine or something like that. Whenever you, you author it. Yeah, I actually was just messing around with chat GPT over the weekend. I was trying to decide if I was going to make like a little gardening application uh, just for myself. I was planting my garden this weekend and I asked chat GPT, how often do I need to water tomato plants? And can you give me that response in a cron job? And it did. It said, you know, you water your plants twice a week, uh, generally in the mornings. Here is a cron job for Mondays and Thursdays at 8 a.m. So you can use things like ChatGPT. You could say, here's my content. Can you tell me when is the best time to post on Medium, uh, given the content? And it can return a cron job. And then you can set up in step functions an event bridge schedule with that cron job and just have it go and be completely automated based on the content, the actual content of your content, which is super cool, super fascinating. Or even create um, summaries for uh, social media blog posts and, and, and or social media posts about your blog posts. Like, yeah, this is the content, transform it, send it out, then ask uh, OpenAI to create a summary or a tweet about it and then tweet it out three days later and then now do an excitement tweet on it. And I think that, that that's a really cool thing. And then could be fully, fully automated using these step functions. I 100% agree. It's one of the things that uh, I've been trying to get into more is using OpenAI to provide recommendations, not necessarily around the content creation. I still have mixed feelings around AI and, and content creation, even if it's summarizing. You know, Sometimes I'll use a summary for myself to make sure I understand the content, but not for actually creating and publishing out. But using it as a, a recommendation engine is is super powerful, and that coupled with uh, step functions is is a powerhouse. I actually just published uh, today a conversational lambda function that uh, can be called infinite number of times to uh, hold a conversation with OpenAI, and it remembers the context uh, across execution environments. You just give it a conversation key, and it loads everything up and uh, saves it for you. So the possibilities are 
endless and we're ready to move on it. That, that sounds really cool. Um, so you talked about maps and parallel. Um, any tips and tricks for the listeners about, yeah, if you do parallel, this is going to need to bike you or... Parallel processing is, is interesting. I like it in the sense that it makes the workflows uh, complete faster. Uh, you know, you just run these operations all at the same time and converge when you're done. If you need output from the branches that you're running in parallel, that's where it can kind of get a little bit tricky. So what I always do, uh, the very first state after a parallel state is uh, it's a pass. And I use the pass to basically transform the content and put it in usually object form. So the results of a parallel uh, execution or a parallel state inside of a step function workflow is an array. And each object in that array is uh, what that data context looked like at the end of each branch. So what I do is I do a pass statement. It's more or less hard-coded. I know that the index at zero of this array is the first branch, the uh, index at one is the second branch and the index at two is the third branch. So what I'll do is I'll create this pass statement that says, okay, grab these two pieces of information from branch zero, grab this one piece of information from branch one and throw everything away from branch three. That was something that I don't need anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I continue down from there because trying one of the things that I found that isn't super intuitive and easy to follow even when you're debugging is arrays inside of step functions and I don't know if it's a me thing or if it's the way that it's presented inside of the user interface but making sure that I always have an object to manipulate and pass data into future states has always led to the most success for me yeah that, that sounds cool I, I had things like oh yeah this is not an array or this is some weird errors about how do you what's the correct syntax to access anything and then it does weird things so that sounds like a really cool plan uh, from this what, what i hear is that you're using the output as your new context object and not setting everything in one big context object that you fill with every state because i've seen these two approaches like i have one context and every result will be put into a new field so i can access everything that happened at any point in time, or I'm really changing the object from input to output? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's there's not a whole lot of content that I've found on the internet that talks about the managing the data size from transition to transition, which is a shame because I found one of the biggest limitations inside of step functions is the data size uh, of the context object between state to state. I think it's 256K. So if you load a 300K item out of DynamoDB using a direct integration, uh, you will not be able to transition to the next state because that exceeds the, the maximum state transition size. And you know that's, that's an extreme example. But one of the things that I really try to make sure that I do when I'm building out uh, workflows is making sure I manage that state as tightly as possible. I don't want to carry any unnecessary data in any transition uh, that I'm not going to use downstream. So I actually throw in a lot of pass states, which are uh, states that let you transform the current context to something else to trim the fat, if you will. Uh, 
get rid of anything. So usually what I do, let me answer your question now. Uh, usually what I do is I will save uh, like the results of a parallel execution into a parallel results field in the context object. And then I hit that pass state that uh, that picks and chooses the data from that parallel results object or array, I guess it is, and throws the rest of it away. So I don't carry fluff or baggage throughout the rest of it because I don't want to run into that max uh, data size. That's bitten me a couple times in production and it hurts. It hurts bad because sometimes you don't account for it and you have a production workload running and you can't just change it. It's you have to think about something like that up front. Yeah, that's perfect. You'll definitely look into this because currently in my step function, and I love step functions too for all the orchestration stuff. I was always like, it's better to have something than to need something. So I'm always carrying all the state I have with me because never get rid of any data because I could use it later on. So I'm only adding all the results. So normally the all the results because direct API integrations are big chunks of metadata and whatever. I'm only adding what I need, but always adding to the context object and keeping everything because I might need it later, but I can totally sure, see that no, it might hit some limits. <laughs> yep. And it's not saying that that happens all the time. I'm just saying when it happens, it's, <laughs> it's horrible because yeah. you just don't, it, it's not like it's a bug that you can fix. I can't go in and add an old check. You know, that's, that's a pretty common bug that a lot of people see is yeah, an old reference exception. So let me go in and fix that. When you reach a maximum data size in a, uh, ex exception inside of a workflow that hurts. You have to go in and seriously, you have to evaluate all the data from state to state. It's like, what can I trim out? And it, they take, they're a lot more involved than, you know, adding an old, an old check. And one of the tricks, if, uh, if you don't know is if you're able to preload and pass in a decent amount of information into the starting execution state, you always have access to that regardless of whether or not you have it in the data context as traveling from state to state. Uh, Step functions has a shortcut that says that that basically lets you access any of the initial inputs at any state, regardless of whether where you are. So you can say dollar sign, dollar sign, uh, context dot execution dot input dot access any of the information that was provided to the to the, so the original the input so you mean the original input is always there yeah yep you can always access it it's not it's not always visually there uh when you're looking at uh, an execution uh just like you're not going to always see it inside of the state transition but you always have access to it if you need it further down the line and that, that's perfect because normally if you need something it's from the original event like oh yeah i need to what was the idea of the event again? <laughs> or yeah. what was the key of the object that triggered this? Um, so it's always there. So you don't need exactly. to pass it from one step to the next. You always have access to that. Always. Because especially with this direct SDK integration, sometimes it's either you add it to the context or you replace the context. But taking parts of the input is sometimes not that easy. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a skill that I've had to learn as I use step functions more and more is knowing what to save, knowing what to trim, knowing what to carry over. That's one of the things, that's one of the nuanced things that you learn as you build with step functions more and more. And then there's, yeah, 
hundreds and not, not hundreds, but four or six things where you specify what you select or input or format or filter and like yes some some parts is filtering the result and then it's what is put into the context and it's like i need to relearn it every time i use the step function editor like what is the result selected yes you and me both i i definitely uh run through that pretty much every time i'm building a new a new workflow and i do that almost every week you know it's one of my favorite services like i said and i try as best i can if i can do something completely in a step function workflow instead of Lambda, I will, uh, including uh, uh, mainly with like express state machines. You know, they're built basically the same. They're a little slightly more expensive than Lambda, but express workflows scale better than Lambda does. I know that's a weird, crazy thing to say, but it has a hundred thousand concurrent executions that you can run at any point in time. And uh, it actually scales and responds to traffic faster than Lambda does. You know, if you push in a hundred thousand requests to a cold Lambda function, it's not going to scale immediately and spin up a hundred thousand execution environments. It, you will get throttled as it ramps up. Uh, but step function, express step functions don't do that. I think the performance and, and scaling is one of the things. Um, every time there is an email about oh yeah, we are deprecating a Lambda runtime or there is a bug in this library or something. I think yes, I have step functions. I don't care. <laughs> because you, you don't care about library updates or runtimes or whatever. No, it's a direct integration in step functions. I don't care if they need to change from Python 3.10 to 3.11. I don't care. I think that's the, that's the biggest benefit. So especially for me, to, one of the use cases for step functions is as a consultant, if I'm building automation for clients that I'm not sure they want to handle or they don't need to touch for the next three years, I put it in the step function because it's there's no effort in yeah operating it. With a Lambda function, yeah. it's still, they get an email like, oh yeah, you have a deprecated runtime there. Why? What does it do? What do you need to do? With a step function, it's there and it will run forever. That's right. And you can trigger step function workflows on almost anything that you can trigger uh, a Lambda function on as well. Like an EventBridge event can uh, directly trigger a, a step function workflow. And with pipes, you know, it's even more rich nowadays. You, yeah. you can trigger that off of anything. You don't need a Lambda function. Like the first several, uh, first several state machines I ever built years ago all had Lambda function executors. It wasn't triggered on anything it was launched from a Lambda, Lambda function. Uh, you know, I did a couple of basic transformations, couple of validations in the function and then said, okay, go. And you don't have to do that anymore, which is super nice. So there was a new um, announcement for step functions. Did you look into it? And can you tell us a little bit about the distributed maps? I haven't used distributed maps okay. myself, but the very first use case that I had when, uh, when I saw that announcement come out, was things for a data conversions. At my previous job, one of the big professional service tasks that we did was migrate existing workloads from previous software vendors to our software. And to do that, you have to do you know your standard uh, ETL jobs, right? Extract, transform, load. And the the distributed map is a great tool for that because you can, 
you know, scale out to however many thousands of of threads concurrently to process these huge, typically uh, millions of records large uh, data sets. And you can run them all through the same exact processes and get notified or get uh, a very easy way to see which one, uh, which data items failed execution. So I was really excited about that. Uh, I haven't, again, haven't used it myself, but that was the use case that came into my mind. I know there's other ones like scanning uh, S3 buckets to, to do something similar. Uh, and then, you know, I think more recently was the DynamoDB scan connector. So really excited about those. I think even not, not it, it's also part of ETL because for me, always a missing thing for some use cases was migration or something like schema migration for DynamoDB. So if you have, I need a new field on every item, you normally don't want it, but sometimes there is no way around it. And that could be a thing for, for a distributed map, like do this scan on all these objects and create an update that's adding something on it. Yep. Yep. Because there's two schools of thought on how you do that. You do the transform on load when the data is fetched the first time, you know, does it have the property? No, add it. On, on a fetch, or you do the all-in-one scan. It's really a trade-off. Is that field required? Is it optional? Uh, can I get away with some of the data having it and some not? It's interesting. Yeah, as I said, it's not something you should do normally, but there are ways, especially if you want to add a new index, for example. Um, re yeah, adding it on load it is not possible if you want to query by it. <laughs> right. So sometimes there is a need and, and then that could be a, a way to do that. So anything else about subfunctions that you definitely want to talk about? You know, I would, I would feel bad or angry with myself if I didn't say, if you don't use step functions and you use Lambda, you should try it. My general rule of thumb is if I have a Lambda function that has three or more AWS SDK operations that I'm calling, I will move that over to a step function workflow. If I'm doing two things, that's fine. Maybe like a, maybe it's a quick get from DynamoDB and an update uh, or a get delete, who knows, based on, you know, whatever. If I'm doing three or more things, push that over to a state machine. You can do express and give it a, in a, a very similar feel to a Lambda function because you can do synchronous express workflows where you can hook them directly up to an API gateway endpoint and have a request response uh, process, right? The API gateway won't respond until the express state machine is done. Uh, but it's better for traceability. It's better for observability. It's better overall long-term for scaling. And uh, they cost almost the same, which, which is super nice. Now, one of the things also, the other thing, I'm fully aware every, you can't have a conversation in the serverless community about step functions without talking about the poor developer experience. And this is one of the things I had uh, Lars Jacobson on my podcast talking about developer experience of step functions. Good episode, definitely worth a listen. But he built a tool that kind of embodies the power of App Composer to take the workflow studio definition and write it locally to your machine. So he has addressed one of the big, the biggest, hardest points of step functions where you have a big difficulty or a gap in the user experience of using the workflow studio, which is a fantastic tool to build your workflows 
and then taking that definition and putting it into source control. Yeah, that, that's cool. I'll definitely to look into this because I'm doing the next step. Currently, I'm working on, I don't want to re-implement everything then in CDK. So I'm generating CDK constructs out of um, ASL files. So you give it an ASL file and it's creating a CDK construct for you that has, that, that wraps, the, the, I want a new state machine and it just knows the definition. And all the variables you're using in your um, your new definition are all are surfaced as properties that you can then provide as typed lambda function or DynamoDB table or whatever CDK object. So that would be the next step, auto generating some parts instead of yeah now I need to have this glue code to use the JSON file from from Workflow Studio used in my CDK application. I still hope that the developer tools team at AWS will just release Workflow Studio as a VS Code extension. That would be perfect. Agreed. It's not like they haven't heard that request before. Yeah, but we need to reiterate on this request until they do it. They they, they count um, the product feature requests. So the more people say we want this, the, they always say we're customer obsessed. So they <laughs> can show it. That's true. That is That is one of the big leadership principles over there. Yeah. So yeah, I think this has been great. Uh, where can people find more about you online besides the, the mentioned uh, websites? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. We can uh, post a link to those in the show notes, my website, Ready, Set, Cloud. Uh, I'm pretty much always online. So send me a message if you have any questions on anything. Perfect. Uh, thanks for joining me today. And thank you for having me very much. This was a fantastic conversation. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Thorsten Höger, and I hope you join me again next time for Cloud Automation Weekly.